With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Charles Barkley in a pickup game. We'll take Barkley. Ha! First pick! Sorry, kids! Yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? Okay, here's the plan. Pass me the ball every time. This is banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Hi there, curious minds out in our ever-expanding radio land. Welcome to CC with BB. Connecting with Coincidence with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. That's me. This is the only radio show in the world dedicated to the study of coincidences, synchronicity, and serendipity. We are coming to you through the X-Zone Broadcast Network, located in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and broadcasting all over the world. What is the relationship between mind and brain? Does brain produce consciousness? Or does a greater consciousness produce the brain? How do mind and brain interact with each other? I am a psychiatrist. I study this question in my office. I help people with medications and psychotherapy. I work in both brain and mind. You need your mind to recognize a coincidence and your brain to talk about it. Synchronicity spoken here. Coincidences alert us to the mysterious hiding in plain sight. In other words, coincidences alert us to the possible causal connections not recognized by modern science. The phrase connecting with coincidence is my brand, connecting with coincidence. It is the name of my book, my Psychology Today blog, my website, and my social media sites. To find any and all of these, please put Connecting with coincidence in your search engine. Would you like to know how sensitive to coincidences you are? Take the weird coincidence survey on my website. Synchronicity. Synchronicity. Which definition of synchronicity should we be using? Because the word is used for both an event and its explanation. Synchronicity was defined by Carl Jung in several ways. The essential definitions were meaningful coincidence and an explanation for meaningful coincidences. In other words, we have the strange circumstance of having a word that both describes and explains. To make things more confusing, both the meaning of the description and the meaning of the explanation are ambiguously defined. In his monograph on the subject, Jung described three subcategories of synchronicity as an event. Meaningful the meaningful occurrence of a psychic and external event, 
precognition and telepathy. Each of his followers classifies only these meaningful coincidences in different ways. Um, Mansfield, for example, describes it as only synchronicity for psychological growth. In general use, synchronicity includes serendipity and any other form of meaningful coincidence. If you do an internet search of the word synchronicity, you'll find many non-coincidence uses for the term. It's a great word. It's a great word. In the same monograph, Jung defines synchronicity as an a-causal connecting principle. The meaning of a-causal has been hotly debated. Does it mean without a cause, a cause yet not understood by modern... Or, as Jung elaborated on the term, the activation of archetypes which exist in both mental and physical realms. How the archetypes are activated is not clear. Jung also believed that synchronicity could explain the strange events of quantum physics like entanglement and collapsing the wave function. Coincidence refers to an observed conjunction between events and or objects, which is highly unusual and appears to be meaningful and with a possible hidden cause. It's simply describing something experienced by us without an implied theoretical cause. Synchronicity as meaningful coincidence carries with it implicitly a cause, an implied cause. So I propose to separate out these terms. I propose that synchronicity be reserved for possible explanations for some coincidences and that coincidence replace synchronicity as a descriptive term for meaningful coincidences. We will. Our guest today is Morgan Stebbins. Morgan is well-versed in Jungian thought. He is a supervising analyst, faculty member, and former president and director of training at the Jungian Psychoanalytic Association in New York City, where he also maintains a private practice. He has taught religious studies and hermeneutics at the New York Theological Seminary in the pastoral care and counseling program, and he developed a program in contemplative Jungian practice at the New York Zen Center. Among the many things that Morgan is interested in is the relationship between Jung and Zen, or Buddhism and psychology. I find this uh, a wonderful juxtaposition of concepts that are related but have not received uh, as much attention as they probably do, since both Zen and Zen Buddhism and Buddhism in general are emerging as very popular concepts in our current culture. So as we interview, as we interview Morgan in the next segment, we will be getting into some of his ideas about the relationship between Jung and the Buddha and related ideas. Morgan will be talking together in the next segment. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, 
Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. President of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Hello, I'm Pete Marsh. With my daughter Justina, we will be presenting the new radio show, Too Good to Be True. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. But with the help of Justina's amazing gifts, we're going to gain insight into questions that don't yet have complete answers. Have you wondered who built Stonehenge and for what reason? Why are crop circles found in the same region as Stonehenge and elsewhere? Are crop circles a hoax or are they created with technologies that we have little knowledge of? Who built the pyramids in Egypt and also in other countries? How and why were they built? Was the Titanic switched with the Britannic as part of a gigantic insurance fraud or for more insidious reasons? What caused the Tunguska event when trees were flattened over an 800-square-mile area in Siberia? Will the new insights be too good to be true? Well, that will depend on what you are prepared to believe. Please join us as we start on this journey together. For more information on Too Good To Be True, visit www.xzbn.net. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. 
With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at Songs and Stories for Soldiers. US. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. Welcome back to CC with BB with our guest Morgan Stebbins, who has many interests based in his Jungian practice and, and, and understanding, but he's connecting them with Buddhism. Buddhism Psycho- Buddhism, psychology, archetypes. Morgan, welcome to the program. I- I'm very curious about how you got involved in putting together the Buddha and Jung. Hi, uh, glad to be with you. And that was a great introduction and a lovely, succinct introduction to synchronicity as well. Thank you. Um, well, I mean, I think speaking of serendipity, there wasn't there wasn't a sort of carefully thought out plan. It just happened to be that my two, my two main interests from when I was 15 or 16 were um, Buddhism, especially Zen Buddhism and Jung, which, uh, you know, I was much too young to really understand very much of, but they've just maintained themselves as two aspects of the way I've understood the world and myself. So wow! Wow! That's a, so, he, so you started off pretty young, interested in both. That's cool. Yes, I started my Zen training when I was seventeen, and read my first Jung when I was fifteen. Although, again, I'm sure I didn't understand anything about it, but something something grabbed me about it, and I, you know, had a little peregrination through Campbell and Hesse and various things that, you know, young people are drawn to, and not so young either, and uh, all of that continued along with my studies in Buddhism as well as studies in Chinese language. And for some reason, they continued to interweave. Um, so in a sense, that's the big synchronicity in my life. Well, that, that you added interest in China, the Chinese language. That's going to be a, a pull together for you because uh, Jung did the introduction to the I Ching, the basic Wilhelm version. Uh, so and Jung was almost defined synchronicity um, in Chinese terms, at least at, at the beginning, uh, of falling together in time. I love that idea, uh, right. fall, falling together in time. It's all like connected right now. And cause cause is not uh, Western. It's cause is by association about what's going on right now. So you're deeply immersed in that. Well, it's just been my interest for sure. Um, great, great. Yep. So how did how then did you evolve, and now how do you think about the relationship between Buddhism and Jungian thought? Well, um, that's a that's a really uh, that's a that's a big question, I suppose. But it it begins with the question of uh, experience and theory. What the relationship is between experience and theory? Yes. And both Jung and Zen think that personal experience is the is the place to begin and is the only way to, you know, affirm sort of theoretical uh, structures. Uh, know, that's however, that's such an important idea. I've heard of it. If you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. 
Right. Well, you know, and it's sort of hilarious because then Jung went on to write 40 volumes worth of theoretical structure. Yes. Zen, <laughs> Zen has the largest literature of all the Buddhist groups. So, you know, we all speak out of both sides of our mouth. That's part of it. <laughs> That's so funny. So, so how do you resolve that, what we call paradox or contradiction? Well, you know, it's funny you use the word paradox in one of Jung's great, great volumes, which is called Mysterium Conjunctionis. There's a, there's a chapter on the paradox called Paradoxa. And he has a somewhat arcane sounding quote, which is um, that the arcane substance, the paradoxes cluster around the arcane substance. And what that means is that the you know, the essence of our existence in the world is for Jung unknowable in itself. That w- that's what makes him a kind of a neo-Kantian. Yes. Um, but it emanates, of course, into our experience. And our experience, we could say, has a number of different forms, one of which is a kind of uh, thoughtful, reflective form, which leads to theory, and another of which is a sort of emotional, active form, which leads to what we think of as personal experience. So those two constantly interweave to produce our, our seamless experience of the world. And it's only if we back up and kind of dissect it that we see how each one is working. Could you uh, tell us about the major coincidence in your life and how what you just said might apply to our understanding of it? Well, I mean, I suppose there's been a, a lot of them. Do you mean the... Um, with, well, the one with the ring and your wife? Oh, the one with the ring, right, okay. So, you know, I'm uh, I'm sort of least interested in the sort of big S synchronicities, but, uh, you know, um, but this was certainly one of them, and, and it's happened to me, and I'm sure that it happens to most people that are interested in this topic. And I think the question of what you do with that later is the more interesting thing. Uh, but in a nutshell, the story is that um, I met a woman, and after a number of months, we'd fallen in love, and uh, we wanted to marry but unlike many people these days, we didn't talk about it. I thought I just cooked up a plot on my own to propose. And then I thought I would design a ring and did that all in secret as well. Just consulted with a person in the diamond district and then uh, locked it in my desk and invited her up. And then the next morning she woke up and said she'd had this amazing dream. And I asked what it was. And she said, well, I dreamt that you gave me a ring. And in her telling of the story, I then went white, which I'm sure is true. And uh, I, I asked the, the question, which seemed the most uh, sort of reasonable and important <laughs> at the time, which was, did you like the fact that I gave you a ring? <laughs> because if she had said, no, my plans for the later in the day were going to be scuttled. <laughs> so she said, oh, yes, well, of course. And I said, oh, that's amazing. I mean, I said, that's great. And she said, but there was, the funny thing is the ring had a very particular appearance. Okay, well, what was that? And I spent a long time designing this ring, and it had sapphires on it and diamonds. And she said, well, it was sapphires and diamonds in this particular shape. So then I, you know, nearly lost my Jungian drawers. And, uh, you know, it took me the rest of the day to recover from it. And then when I did, in the the end, you know, uh, I kept it under my hat, but then I did propose later that day. When I pulled the ring out, then it was her turn to be completely stunned by it. And the ring that she dreamt of was the ring that I had designed. Well, take us through uh, your Buddhist Jungian thinking 
about uh, this experience, both the personal meaning, which is fairly obvious, but given uh, your depth of thought, I assume that you've gone more deeply into what it meant to you personally and to your then now wife, as well as what it has done for your theorizing about how it happened. Well, I mean, synchronicities, according to Jung, tend to come up more when there when two things are present. One is um, a lack of knowledge about a particular item or person or event. And the other is a tremendous emotional investment. I'm going to stop you there for a minute. I haven't sure. heard that lack of knowledge one. Uh, I, I've, I also have seen independently of Jung how uh, intense emotion uh, as well as transition and need, which are sometimes related to intense emotion, sometimes not, uh, are fertile grounds for uh, coincidence, synchronicity happening. But I didn't know about this not knowing thing. Could you? Uh, I haven't heard that. So would you talk about that a little bit, please? Sure. I mean, that's related to Jung's ideas about projection. Most of the time we think about projection as something which is uh, an experience which is falsely attributed to some object like, you know, I don't like your tone of voice and I react to you as though you're my father or something like that. Um, but for Jung, projection was much, much deeper than that. In fact, the world is created in a very Buddhist sounding co-arising um, form through our multiple collective projections that, that is humanities that's that's how the world is formed in any way that we can interact with so what we begin to call psychologically projections uh, happen when we're we're less adapted to that world and something starts to make a perturbation and that becomes a symptom which we then realize is a form of projection which doesn't fit the object very well or in a way that that uh, works for us anymore. That allows us to see it as a part of ourselves and to integrate it psychologically. That's what von Franz calls retracting the projection. Uh, and then it becomes an item of knowledge. Now, let me slow that down a little bit, but because actually the terms you use are somewhat condensed uh, and you're familiar with them. So uh, I am not, and our listeners wouldn't be either. So please uh, correct me if I misunderstand um, that we might, we end up uh, in a circumstance where uh, the world is uncertain uh, for us. We're not sure of what's really out there. And then we project something into that uncertainty and then look at it and then be able to see what we're projecting out is really a part of ourselves. Yes, um, exactly. Except that for Jung, the, the world in its most stable and solid looking state uh, is actually... Um, formally called a version of projection. So meaning that, uh, you know, in a kind of Bishop Berkeley-esque way, we have no way of telling if outer objects are actually there or if we're just reading them in the field of consciousness that's within our mind or brain. Well, let, let's, let's pause with that Kantian kind of look at that, because I think mo many people are not familiar with Kant and that uh, the idea you're describing, that we cannot really know reality, we can only know our psychological experience of it. Right. I mean, and neurologists, you know, are familiar with this these days as well, because we're reading our own neurological feedback about the world, which means that every species sees the world quite differently 
because they're oriented to different parts of the world that help with their adaptation. So it's in no way saying that there's not a world, um, but that the form of the world that we see is very much embedded in who we are personally, but more importantly, who we are as a species in a sense structurally. That would be that would be a reference to the archetypal layer of our existence. We don't have any access to that. And yet, Jung sometimes was non-Kantian in the sense that you could make guesses about the hidden world from our experiences of this projection. Well, absolutely. No, and that's the referential part of, let's say, science. You know, in science, you use instruments to detect things you can't directly experience. And so Jung certainly thought about the unconscious that way. The unconscious is both that which we don't, are not conscious of, in other words, that which we're not aware of, and we can make fairly, um, I think, fairly accurate models of it, given the evidence that appears in our consciousness about what's happening that we're not conscious of. Now, this, this is the kind of thinking that has to go fairly slowly for most of us out here, trying to be able to recognize at the same time our own views of the world and then be able to see how those views may tell us something indirectly, perhaps, about what's, the, what's beyond what I might refer to as the veil of Maya. Well, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, in terms of psychological suffering, which is my main concern, you know, I will think about the sort of big picture stuff a little bit. Um, psych- one, Jung has many quite beautiful definitions of neurosis, which is the same thing as psychological suffering. And one of them is to be um, at odds with one's self, meaning the conscious is at odds with the unconscious. A lot of times that means that we have a an understanding of the world which is not adaptive. And we have an understanding of our time that our, seg- <laughs> our segment has come to an end and we'll continue this in our next segment, Morgan. Very good. are our personal gateways into infinite wisdom. Don't miss Shamanic Counselor and Indigenously Trained Dream Decoder Sandra Corcoran's inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening Between the Dark and the Daylight. This remarkable work chronicles Sandra's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers and her initiations throughout the Americas and across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt. Sandy's knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth influenced her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private tarot readings, international journeys, a meditative CD, as well as her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate this earthwalk, creating a deeper connection to yourself and all that is. Find this and more at Sandy's website, starwalkervisions.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. 
For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Hello, I'm Justina Marsh, and with my dad, Pete, we are going to present a new show called Too Good to Be True. Together, we are aiming to discover more truths about this world and beyond. Do you have unanswered questions about the world? Do you ever wonder about aliens, conspiracy theories, or the universe? There are many shows discussing subjects such as pyramids or UFOs, but we want to relay this information based on our own research, including from spiritual means. Hopefully, listeners will be helped with their own beliefs and will appreciate the psychic insights that add to the previous research and information. We both look forward to sharing this insight and beginning this journey with our listeners. Visit xzbn.net for more information about when to listen. Welcome back to CC with BB, connecting with coincidence with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. That's me. We're talking with Morgan Stebbins of New York City, uh, who has that remarkable juxtaposition of coincidences in his own head of Jung and the Buddha. Uh, and we're talking about how we know reality. Um, and Morgan, I'm going to ask us to go back to uh, the ring uh, story with you and your wife. Um, This had to be an educational experience for you, and I'm trying to be able to see what impact it had, because it's such a great story. Well, I mean, one of the hardest things to do is to interpret your own synchronicity, um, because it's showing that there's something that you're tremendously invested in, and that you have mostly a... um, uh, that you mostly don't know about. So you're projecting a whole, a, whole, a huge layer of your own psyche. That is into such a, it. that's, that's such a, a, a clear, emphatic statement uh, that uh, I understand just what you, you said. Um, most people 
do the interpretations themselves, I've developed something that I call coincidence counseling, uh, where I can talk with people about just what that coincidence means to them, because some of them are just so flat out weird for them and so emotional as you're implying that they can't really get their heads around it and need another mind for it but you seem to be talking about that as a conventional part of your therapy well i mean yes and no it's um in some ways it's not that different from let's say interpreting a dream yes or a psychological pattern which is also both of those are very hard to understand in one's own life yes and you know that's because Jung made a distinction between two models of the world. Uh, they're a little bit related to the particle and wave theories of physics, but I wouldn't want to pin them to those very much. Good. One of them is what he called the mechanistic or causal way of thinking about things. And that has to do, you know, and he gave Freud great credit for spelling that out. Um, you know, and it's very sort of, um, it works with the way we usually think of the mind and, it, and for that matter, folk psychology very well. Something happened in the past. It was very important. It continues to have, you know, reverberations. And now here's the end result. That's yes. also connected yes. with the world of, you know, projection, because I can think, you know, OK, this happened to you at that time. I can imagine what that feels like. And that's and I have empathy for that. So that's basically projective. Jung thought there was another way to see the world. Well, I, I'm sorry. I mean, your your thinking is really intriguing to me, and uh, you say a lot in a small sentence um, that I never thought of uh, projection uh, or, uh, as empathy as causal. But of course, I do think of that way. Think of think of it that way. I've never thought of applying causality to my ability to be empathic, but that person's feeling. Um, somehow gets picked up by me. Projection, empathy are related to each other, and that's causal. And past, present, that's causal. Exactly. And that's that's where Freud was. And I, I think that's beautiful. Thanks for sh sharpening that. Yeah, absolutely. No, Jung. Jung. This is from, uh, especially if you want to read about it more carefully, in Jung's Volume Eight. He has an essay called um, "On Psychic Energy," and this is where he differentiates. A mechanistic versus an energic point of view. Uh -huh. And the energic is very, very hard to think. It's also what he calls symbolic thinking, which seems like it should be easier. And it has to do with patterns. And it has to do with, let's say, volumes of energy, not qualities of energy. So, and that this is where the archetypes live as well. And it usually takes excuse me volumes yeah. of energy versus qualities of energy. Right. So, so for empathy is uh, um, is 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 volumes of energy. Uh, no, empathy is about qualities. In other words, if, I can imagine how you would feel about that event if I go if I can imaginally put myself back in time and think about it happening. But that's a projection. I'm doing that myself yeah. and applying yeah. that to you. Yeah. But the volume of event thing is very different. That all happens in the present moment. So for Jung, this energic model is something that we can see arising in the present moment. In other words, it's a pattern that's happening now. Yeah. Rather than being attributed to something in the past. Uh-huh. And in itself, it's going to have some kind of unfolding, meaning it's leading toward, if anything, the future. And I think this is where we get some of the prophetic 
you know, or mantic aspects of something like the I Ching. But my understanding is that it's not really more complex than understanding that if you drop a ball at the top of a hill, you can predict that it will roll down the hill. So if you know the, the pattern that's attempting to unfold, you know, you can make some pretty good um, guesses about how it's going to unfold. Can we go back to your ring story? Uh, and sure. apply some of these thoughts to that, please. Sure. I'm not sure that I have, um, you know, that I have a very coherent view of it in a sense, except that I knew from that moment that there was a tremendous amount packed into something which, you know, a marriage is a kind of, you know, any vow is a kind of attempt to take some personal experience out of the realm and time, of time and space um, because you're seeing that for all time something or other which is not a very, you know, empathic time and space oriented thing to do. So I knew that something was from beyond my ego consciousness was cutting into my personal sphere. But I didn't really know what. You know, I suppose that the easiest way to think about this is in Jung's, you know, Jung has a view, this is going to get us off onto a little bit of a tangent, but that all people have other parts of them, um, well, let's say traditionally men have a feminine aspect and women have a masculine aspect that are unconscious. And Jung called those the anima and the animus. It's actually a little more complex than that. And our, you know, current thinking about gender uh, has shifted this theory a little bit, but, um, and that, that, that those images were both attracted to in the outer world and their aspects of ourselves in the so-called inner world at the same time. So already there's a synchronic aspect to when you feel a resonance about someone else. And one of the hardest things, Jung wrote about this in his essay, Marriage as a Psychological Relationship, one of the hardest things is to both see the person you're with, because you're very emotionally invested, to see them both as the other person that they actually are, that part's not so hard, but also to see them as a reflection of an ideal image that's trying to be noticed in your own psyche. An ideal image of the other or yourself? Right. Uh, well, the other in one's own psyche is the unknown part of yourself. And how did the how did this how did the ring story uh, uh, connect with what you're saying? Well, because I realized that I was. Uh, connecting to both an actual person. Yeah. That part of it seems pretty obvious and gets borne out through, you know, daily life, but also to something in myself, which carried in the highest value in, in Jung's view, that connection with the anima or animus leads to the connection with the, um, the self. And that's Jung's word, both for a personal wholeness and for a kind of cosmic wholeness. So it goes immediately beyond the personal. How do you think this uh, coincidence, this synchronicity took place? How do you explain it? Um, I don't really have a good explanation. I mean, I think that the more you, and this is why the big S synchronicities are, are tougher, because I think you understand the meaning of them over time. And that's the tricky thing about, 
a meaningful uh, contingency standing in for causality. Those things have to unfold over time. And really the analytic job is to determine what the meaning is and then how it gets lived. And that's a, you know, that's not that easy. So, you know, what I train in uh, at the JPA in our analytic training program is how to read the small s synchronicities. In other words, if you know a dream or you know something about a person's pattern, you know other places in their life that that's going to show up or that's the conjecture. And it's always been true that if you, in my experience in training, that if you can become sensitive to that, you can get to know the unknown parts of someone much, much faster and also see where they're trying to unfold. Uh, I, I call that inductive reasoning, taking a, a single pattern and making a guess about the, a, a single event and making a guess about the pattern from which it emerged. Sure. But I would say that's an aspect of synchronicity because all of it is available in the pattern in this moment. In other words, it's like Jung's rhizome model of both individual consciousnesses and total consciousness, that there's something underneath that connects all of them. So as soon as you become aware of that layer of the grid, it can all pop up at once, regardless of time and space. I don't want to get too cosmic about it, but, um, but I think it's something that we experience more often than not, just as you're talking about. We just don't think of it in this way. Well, I, I've developed this uh, phrase, uh, word simulpathity, um, referring to uh, being able to experience the pain of a loved one at a distance. It's a replacement for the old definition of telepathy, which meant the same thing, but telepathy became much more cognitive, cognitive and not so emotional. Um, when I read your ring story, this looked like a positive version of simulpathy or telepathy, uh, where you were so intent uh, in creating and energizing an image of ring and asking her to marry you, uh, and that she was tuned into you enough to be able to register what was going on in your mind in her dream. Uh, and that seemed to me a simple enough way of thinking about it as a, a telepathic, simulpathic kind well, of experience. Sure. Um, I think it's very hard to test that kind of thing. And that sounds like it's moving back toward a kind of causal explanation, you know, causal in a kind of magical way. Uh, it's the question that I keep running across in these interviews is the relationship between synchronicity and psi, between synchronicity, telepathy, clairvoyance, and precognition, uh, that I, I think of them as separate because I think we're going to be able to figure out some kind of causal-like uh, explanation for telepathic experiences, where there are some synchronicities that are just impossible to explain in anything but something other than our current uh, understanding of the something other than the way we understand the world, including uh, psi events. So, but you probably put uh, telepathy uh, and others together with synchronicity, as Jung did. Is that correct? No, no, certainly not, because I think that if, you know, if telepathy is a mechanism, then it's not connected by meaning. It's connected by some other version of intention or, you know, there's another causal aspect to it. If synchronicity is about meaning, 
then only the unfolding of the meaning shows you what the synchronicity was about. And we actually have to change the way we think about the world quite a bit to get away from anything that looks like the causality that we usually rely on. Okay, that's good. Um, uh, we're gonna, coming to the end of this segment, and um, in the next segment, let's clarify big S from small s synchronicities. Sure. Hi everyone, Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. But the question has always been, how do you do it? Well now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you. They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, this product is a real winner. To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www.xzbn.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. 
Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome back to CC with BB, Connecting with Coincidence, today with Morgan Stebbins, talking about synchronicity, Jung, and the Buddha. And Morgan makes a very important uh, distinction between big S synchronicities and small S synchronicities. And what I'm getting about the big S is that you're being so clear about is that we got to wait for the big S's to an unfold their meaning. We, we shouldn't be so um, uh, tuned in to trying to get uh, it, it, the meaning uh, defined now. We've got to be patient and let time, uh, let the meaning unfold. Well, with the small ones, uh, I'm getting the impression maybe we can figure them out right in the present. Well, I think that's right. Um, I think the small S ones lead us closer to the idea of a contemplative-based synchronicity, which is the other thing I wanted to mention. Please but, do, please do. Um, you know, the biggest synchronicities get our attention, that's for sure. Um, but Jung thought, like the arrival of a mandala, that a synchronicity comes in when we have or a biggest synchronicity, a, a, a huge, uh, powerful blow, in a sense, to our usual way of thinking about things. When we've leaned very far over into the causal way of thinking. In other words, it's a huge corrective. And wow, wow! I mean, I'm going to slow you down on that one because that is uh, that is has a lot of profound implications. That we get so caught up in causality uh, that we need to have a big S drop in the way uh, Jung's patient with the scarab had uh, the scarab drop in uh, through the window uh, it, to break uh, the the retort of our rationality of our causality so so that's one of the signs you're saying of a, a big coincidence is that it means we've been caught up too much in rationality or, or causality i think so i think so well, and that's well. that's why they're hard to see and that's also why sometimes they don't go very far you know someone it, it may change someone's life or it may seem like you know i had this spooky thing happen um but for jung a synchronicity will uh, get closer and closer toward a kind of physical manifestation the farther away we get from listening to the small hints that our unconscious 
in various ways, whether it's patterns in the world or emotions we don't usually see or feedback from people we don't usually listen to, you know, all those things give us information about ourselves that we don't usually see. Yeah. So if that continues far enough and we get too unbalanced, a synchronicity will usually drop in as a corrective. Wow. Like, you know, you don't want that to happen um, in a way that's going to hurt you. You know, that's the, that's the worst thing. It's sort of like the movie Crash or something. Okay, you might have to crash your car to realize you have a connection with something. So, you know, obviously that's a very, that's a very drastic version. Usually someone has something happen in another, you know, in another realm that's not quite so drastic. So the smallest synchronicities are the ones that are, you can track them more easily. And they are things like, um, I mean, I, I'm thinking about analytic sessions and a lot of times someone will begin an analytic session and in the work, the Jungian work is called amplification of adding, let's say, uh, thematically related things to their statement, something else will pop up that seems all of a sudden very synchronistic. So in other words, you can produce it with the right kind of state of mind. And I think that you think you think you can give our audience an example of that. Oh, let's see. Um, You know, I don't have one handy and, uh, and I don't talk about my clinical practice. uh, So I'd have to, I have to put my mind to thinking about a, a good example, actually. Well, it's it's a little hard for me to understand what you mean. I think I do, but it's even it would be harder for our listeners that somehow uh, through amplification, uh, some other association I'm thinking comes up, uh, and that's somehow related to what started it. It's like sounds like Freud, Freudian association to me. Well, okay, it's it's that's a really important point, and Freudian association has to do with. Um, Usually it's, it's done by the person of the, you know, of the client, let's say, of the, we, we call the analysis end. And it can lead either toward or away from the meaning of, let's say, the image or the synchronicity. And that's the tricky thing, is that amplification is non-personal. In other words, you can make thematic connections, whether you are the person that had the image or not. That's what connects us to the impersonal world, meaning the world of nature, the world of the cosmos in whatever way you want to talk about that. That's the way toward the, the archetypes. The archetypes are non-personal. You mean then the analyst that you mean you make associations to what the patient is saying or interview the analysand is saying? Right. Although we would call them amplifications because they're not associations from my history, let's say. So um, like an example would be, um, let's think about this for a second. Well, I'm trying to get some examples of small s synchronicities. Uh, that's because uh, there's a lot of small s, a lot of coincidences take place uh, in the world. Um, the common, most one of the most common one is just um, thinking of something uh, and hearing it on the radio. Right. Okay, that's a great example. And I think if you are aware that the that the source of your thinking is not your personal self then that allows you to hear the sort of relationships to it from a lot of different places. Like, let's say, suddenly on the radio, like, oh, that was just passing through my mind yesterday. And then um, that's one of the ways that Jung says we can see that we're on track with our own process. 
Oh, so small s's are like confirmation of our individuation? Exactly. And it makes the world very rich. And that's what allows us, that's the connection to the contemplative part, is that if we're really open to the non-causal aspects of things, we can see them arising in many forms. By contemplative, you mean contemplate non-causality or a-causality. Well, yes. I mean, I mean anything as simple as, you know, meditating, which is very non-causal in the sense that nothing is really supposed to happen. And, uh, you know, you're not being very, um, in a sense, productive in that way. You're not being very sort of reality focused or anything or, you know, intellectual or anything. And it, you know, one of the, there's many benefits to it. One of the benefits is that it opens us up to the mysterious source of our own thoughts and eventually being. Because if you sit with yourself long enough, you realize that you don't know where the next thing you're going to say is coming from. You know, we're not, we are not the conscious part of us is not the core of ourselves, you know, according to Jung's theory and also my experience. Uh, let's, let's do that radio thing um, because I, I'm practical as are you uh, in trying to help people and I look for help around me and I have a lot of stories of people uh, in the midst of uh, problematic decision making uh, being able to tune into the media, radio being one, TV sometimes, but more and more the internet uh, that they apparently randomly run across something that is directly relevant to the question they're asking themselves and they get an answer that helps them decide which direction to go. I think what you're talking about with contemplative views is that you not only may use it to help you make a decision, um, but it, they also suggest you to contemplate how this thing happened and get you beyond your own subjectivity into uh, a more, let's say, objective external world that involved archetypes. Sure. I, sure. I would go with that. You know, I think most conflict including the difficulty making a decision, I mean, this is at least the analytic stance, comes from um, being at cross purposes. So having unconscious uh, impulses, or what Jung would call an unconscious fantasy, that's driving the situation beneath uh, what we're conscious of. So, uh, you know, and Jung makes a differentiation between two kinds of struggle. One of them is something like a conflict of duty, in which either decision that we make is going to carry like heavy pros and cons. And there's not much we can do about that except suffer through one of the decisions. So, you know, that's much more a kind of, um, th- th- those are important things to have help with, but that Jung would not call that a psychological or spiritual suffering. Spiritual suffering is when we don't know what we want. You know, we don't know what it is that we would want to do in a situation. And that's because, uh, you know, for instance, uh, I just heard about this, you know, a case a friend of mine presented at a conference on difficult cases. And the interesting thing about Jung and also Lacan, uh, the Jungian and Lacanian agreed on this, is that there's no such thing as difficult cases. There's just more or less internal turmoil. So one of the cases was a young man kept finding himself unable to go and sit for the LSATs, even though for his whole life he wanted to be a lawyer and his father wanted him to be a lawyer. And that seemed like logically the best thing to do. He was very smart and so on. So there was a number of thoughts about how he was either acting out or pushing back against this or that. And, uh, the, you know, the Jungian view is actually, uh, the b- bigger part of himself, which he couldn't control, um, 
subconsciously wanted him to go a different way. Hmm. Good. Good. Uh, we're coming to the end of our program. Uh, and uh, as we end, I, I just want to compliment you on the depth of your knowledge of Jungian thought, uh, how you're able to um, describe uh, key ideas that Jung uh, tried to bring to the world. Uh, and you're continuing to be able to keep his ideas alive and developing. Uh, I think it's a great contribution to all of us. Um, well, I, I really appreciate that. And uh, I am developing a training called Contemplative Psychology that will help to continue to be clear about that, but also to mix the contemplative arts and the question of looking at things psychologically. And I, I think they're each important to each other. Wonderful. Wonderful. Keep up your excellent work. A very, very glad to talk with you, Morgan. Best wishes and thanks for being on the program.